Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers! Boy, have we got a Profiles for you today! We sure do, Mance is extra excited. Cocaine donkey Cocaine in the house. Cocaine donkey in the house. Red Fury high fives <laughs> will be had repeatedly throughout this show. Oh. Episode 26. This is our biggest and best show yet. I know we, <laughs> we say, say that, that all the time. Week. Every single week we say that. How do you top this guy? I don't know. How do we top this guest? This guest. Al Pacino is our topic. Al Pacino is our guest. We sat down. We spoke to the man himself. What an incredible, unforgettable, passionate, informative, <laughs> interesting, fascinating, fun four-minute interview. Yeah, four minutes. But four we minutes. got a lot in, and, and he spoke a lot about some of the films that we'll be talking about today. And that was such a treat to hear someone like Al Pacino talk about The Godfather. I mean, I thought I died and went to heaven. And Scarface. Scarface. And for our show. Yeah, that was really cool. That was super cool. We'll get into that later, so do stick around for that one, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. But I have two questions for you, Alicia. Okay, first question is this. Yes. What is it about Al Pacino? Oh, I, you know what? I have Loaded even... question. <laughs> hoo-ah. Hoo-ah. I have an even bigger appreciation for Al Pacino after doing the research for this episode and seeing all his roles back-to-back, because he really transforms he is such an intense performer he throws himself into it but his roles are very different yeah he's played gangsters Tony Montana and Michael Corleone but then he's played other sides of the law he's played other guys he's played real life guys he played he's- the devil the devil he's even played both sides of Michael Corleone like he's able to do the fresh faced war veteran as well as the scary mob boss and he changes his voice with everyone think about Frank Slade versus Frank Serpico he's just incredible and he's 74 and still going 74 about to turn 75 on April 25th something else that we brought up in our incredible unforgettable amazing (laughs) four minute interview well actually you just answered my second question too because my second question was and I know we talked about this before about how you've learned to re-appreciate and rediscover Al Pacino through doing the research we had to do for this episode of Mm -hmm. Profiles and I'm with you on both counts I mean five foot seven and he towers over every movie he does movies television the stage and he's an Oscar winner, but yet he also made a huge mark on TV with Angels in America, Phil Spector, You Don't Know Jack. And it just, I never get nervous when I do these celebrity interviews. Me neither. But I did for Al Pacino. Well, actually, I do get nervous quite often, but I got extra, extra nervous for <laughs> Al Pacino because he is a legend. He's probably one of the greatest living actors we have right now. And he's a method actor, but unlike someone like Brando, he doesn't seem to have been... A 
a victim to his craft. He seems right. like a very happy guy. He seems very comfortable with his fame, and he has a good time. He has a great time in interviews. And he has a great time in his new movie called Danny Collins. I thought that it was his most commercially accessible movie in a really, really long time. More than 45 big screen roles, uh, and it's incredible. When you think about the movies he did in the 70s, just one masterpiece after another. Who back in the 70s it was comparable to that. Like who? Maybe maybe Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. Maybe uh, De Niro. Yeah, to do that many iconic roles in a row. In a row. In just a few years, <laughs> he sandwiched so many in there. I can't wait to get stuck into it. And we're going to get stuck into it very soon. But first, we have a very, very, very special edition <laughs> of It's a Wonderful Life. And we're just going to let you figure out why when we roll it now. Alfredo James Pacino was born on April 25, 1940 in New York City to Italian-American parents Salvatore and Rose Pacino, who divorced when he was just two years old. Pacino, whose nickname was Sonny, caught the acting bug early, starring in school plays and borrowing money for bus fare to make it to auditions. In 1966, he made it into the prestigious actor's studio, studying the method approach under the legendary acting coach Lee Strasberg. After winning a Tony Award for Does the Tiger Wear a Necktie, he made his feature film debut with 1969's Me Natalie, followed two years later by his breakthrough performance as Bobby the Junkie in The Panic in Needle Park. The following year, Pacino was given an offer he couldn't refuse, beating out Robert Redford, Warren Beatty, Jack Nicholson and Ryan O'Neill for the coveted role of Michael Corleone in The Godfather. And just like that, Pacino quickly established himself as one of the best actors of the 70s, thanks to starring roles in Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, and Justice for All, and of course, The Godfather Part Two. Al Pacino won Best Actor at the Academy Awards for 1992's Scent of a Woman, and was nominated seven other times. He also won four Golden Globes, two Tonys, and two Emmys. Pacino has three children and has never been married. Excellent, excellent job, Alicia Malone, doing It's a Wonderful Life this week. Big shout out to the Pit Boss. A big shout out to to Cathal Thomas Coleman. Is he watching us live right now? He is. He's watching right now. He just uh, went on the message board on YouTube. He just said, hoo Okay, we have to give him a big shout out because I've been checking the profiles with Malone Man's Facebook page, which you need to like right now. And he's been posting these pictures of Al Pacino sitting down in The Godfather and all these other movies. And it says, Al Pacino patiently waits for his profiles. (laughs) So because of Cathal Thomas Coleman, we are doing profiles. hoo on Al Pacino. Say goodnight to the bad guy. Let's get right into our first blood. The first time you saw Al Pacino, what was it? I honestly can't remember. Although. I was looking through his filmography. I was trying to think back to what I would have seen at the time. I can't remember. I think it could have been Dick Tracy, but he looked so different as the villain. I have a feeling I saw him in The Godfather because my dad loves uh, Francis Ford Coppola and I remember that movie playing and I would have just caught bits and pieces when I was really young. So I think that's it. But I think this is representative of Al Pacino. The fact that he's just been there in my life the The whole time. time. The whole time. It's just there. That's how I feel. I feel the same way. Godfather for me too. Not in theaters, but in 1977 they showed... What what they did was over four nights 
they showed the two Godfather films in chronological order. Uh, so it cool. started with Vito arriving in America in 1902, and it ended in that last scene in The Godfather Part Two. So, like, switch them around. It really was interesting. Chronological order. It's interesting. Interesting. You should try watching. I've watched it like that in a very, very long yeah. time. But anyway, what I remembered about that watching it again, you know, this is 1977. I was eight years old. <laughs> what is it with my parents showing me all these like crazy movies when I, I was such know. a young kid? I feel the same. I, I remember seeing Psycho when I was really young, and The Godfather, and it's surprising that we're so happy. We're so happy. <laughs> Go lucky. Go figure. Maybe it's because of these movies yeah, that we turn out to be so happy. But I remember specifically the scene where he shoots Salazzo and Captain McCluskey and drops the gun and runs out of the Italian restaurant. Mm-hmm. Of course, I also remember the horse head. That was traumatizing. Yep. It still is. But uh, watching these movies again, uh, I the, Godf- the first two Godfather films... I could just be on a deserted island and just with those two movies and be perfectly happy. Just watch it over and over. I I was somewhere yesterday and and I heard someone say that they watched The Godfather for the first time and I was so jealous. Uh, I was like, imagine seeing it for the first first time. time. Discovering that movie. So great. Jealous. All right, let's get into our fast five. Number five is... <laughs> what movie could that be? Scent, Scent of a, a woman. woman. Released on December 23rd, 1992. Directed by Martin Brest, who also did uh, Beverly Hills Cop and Midnight Run. Cost $31 million to make. Box office worldwide, $134 million. Four Oscar nominations. One win for our man, our guest of honor, Al Pacino himself. Isn't it crazy when you think that this is the movie he won an Oscar for? I was thinking about that, and I feel like it, it was, yeah, it was for the I mean, film. I great. But it was also for his career. Yeah, it must have been for his career, because this was long overdue, and I'd say he's had better roles, but I think every time he was nominated, he was against someone like Jack Nicholson from One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Exactly. And it was a really hard year for him. I'm so glad that he got an Oscar, and he really elevates this movie. This could have been a very mediocre film, but because he infuses Frank Slade with, with so much dimension, starts out as being really bitter and yeah. depressed, and, and then he there's that beautiful tango scene, and then it's like a buddy road movie with Charlie Chris O'Donnell's character. Yeah. I'd even forgotten that Philip Seymour Hoffman was in this one. Yeah, his hair was like long. I hadn't seen it in a long time. It was Philip S. Hoffman is how he was uh, yeah. credited. But uh, this year, the year that he was nominated for lead actor for Son of a Woman, he was also nominated for supporting actor for Glenn Gower, Glenn Ross. <laughs> Good year. P- great year for Al Pacino. <laughs> so there's that. I feel like that was sort of a also a, a great push. And we'll talk more about Glenn Gary as well. But yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. It's, it's, it's like a buddy movie, and they really helped each other, uh, Frank Slade and, and Charlie Sims, because Frank Slade helped Charlie grow up, and Charlie gave Frank a second lease on life. Yeah. And it's a really good balance, a real good uh, relationship where they elevate each other and they help each other. Exactly. And I love how Pacino, he goes from being intimidating yes. to on the just like flicking on a light switch to being charming and irresistible and vulnerable all in one performance and who else could pull that off but our man Al Pacino his voice is so different as well as a, you know Frank Slade doing the <laughs> I love how he does that and it also showed a softer side to Pacino because he'd done these strong roles before but it showed a more vulnerable side to him and and it was great to see him and, and Chris O'Donnell together. Chris O'Donnell is someone who 
I feel like it was always just okay in movies. Yeah, um, he held his own. He, he held his own against Pacino. And I interviewed Chris, I think, last year about his TV show. And he said that he only just now has gotten around to watch Scent of a Woman because he no hates way. watching things that he's in. Oh, so he's never seen feeling. it. Yeah, we know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> but did you know where the hua came from? Is it, it's I thought it was like an army thing. Well, well, that it is an army thing. You know, we hear it a lot in, in movies like Jarhead and yeah. and a lot of the movies. But movies hoo-rah, that come out. Okay, but Hua came while Al Pacino was rehearsing for this role. Uh, a lieutenant colonel, a real lieutenant colonel, showed him how to load and unload a forty-five caliber pistol blind. Ugh. So while Pacino was learning how to do it, whenever he did something right, the lieutenant colonel said Hua. Uh. He said, hoo And then Al Pacino thought to himself, I got to use that. That stuff comes from heaven. Yeah, it's that little tick which shows so much about the character. And it's like one of his most quoted lines. And I. And he's got a lot of them. He's got a lot of quotable uh, lines. And just to talk, talk about a method actor, he remained in character between takes, using a cane to get around and not looking anyone in the eye. And of course, that tango scene with Gabrielle Anwar oh. took three, two weeks to rehearse and three days to shoot. Well, he's so believable as a blind man, you never think twice about it. No, no, you don't. You don't never, you, you sort of maybe in the beginning of the film I was sort of like one- he conscious of where he's looking right but he he had it down yeah and you know who else was considered for the lead role as lieutenant uh, Colonel Frank Slade uh, Jack Nicholson hey he would have been good he but been Al good. Pacino was better Al rocked it so good that profiler Michael K Michael K is a cool guy I like Michael K scent of a woman is brilliant I can easily make an argument for this being Pacino's best performance as he plays retired army general lieutenant colonel Slade showing Chris O'Donnell's character a life of luxury before he's about to commit suicide if you only know Chris O'Donnell from the Schumacher Batman movies you must see this film as he holds his own against an acting legend yeah Brian Sudfield says scent of a woman is my favorite Al Pacino film because Pacino gives his best performance ever. It's so realistic and amazing seeing him portray a blind man so well. His chemistry with Chris O'Donnell is wonderful and the I'm in the dark scene is so powerful and heartbreaking. I never get bored watching this masterpiece. If you haven't seen this film, capital letters, see See it it immediately. immediately. (laughs) (laughs) Brian Sudfield, there you go. Well, you know, so many... Again, we always say this every week. <laughs> so many great scenes. So many great scenes. How do you pick just one? For our right for stuff. For Al Pacino? What is your right stuff for Al Pacino? I had to think long and hard about this, uh, but re-watching Dog Day Afternoon, mm-hmm. I ended up going for the Attica, great Attica scene. Great scene. scene, because I love how his character, I mean, he's doing a bad thing, he's robbing a bank, but it's very representative of the 70s, the, the kind of counterculture, where he comes out and at first, you know, the, the crowd's watching and everyone is scared for the hostages, and then he gets the crowd on his side, Riled up. and then against the police, and mm-hmm. I just love that twist. I also love the way Pacino builds in all his scenes. He starts from here and then he ends up intense and up here. He does that in a lot of scenes, especially when it comes to his monologues. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that too. What's your right My stuff? My right stuff, that was hard to choose. Yeah. I was almost going to go for oh, the... Great ass. Uh, great go ass. Great ass. <laughs> way up it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
that's from Heat. <laughs> that's from Heat. I was almost going to go for that. <laughs> that's a great scene. Um, but I did go for Heat for two reasons. The main reason is because of just that scene where Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are sitting across from each other at the late great Kate Manolini. Which we used to go to for we dinner. We went to before we went to screenings and they shut it down because they raised the rent. But anyway, we'll yeah. always have Kate Manolini. <laughs> and we'll always have Heat. We'll always have them sitting across from each other. Cops and robbers, the, the light and the dark, they need each other. They respect each other. But when Al Pacino goes, you know, when it's down to you and some other guy whose wife you're going to turn into a widow, brother... You are going down. Yeah. It's so great. And of course, also in Heat, not really for the performance, but just the, the bank heist scene in downtown LA is so riveting and realistic and so edge of your seat that six months after that movie came out, there was a real bank heist in North Hollywood, California that was captured on TV. And every newscaster remarked how that scene yeah. reminded them of the scene from Heat. Yeah, it there was so well-researched. Michael Mann knew his stuff. He did know his stuff. All right, our last detail. Where and we, we give, know our uh, stuff, too. Yeah, we know our stuff. <laughs> We're going to give you some trivia about Al Pacino. Hit me up. So did you know no. that in Scarface, uh-huh. during the big shootout in Tony's mansion, there is apparently a single shot that was directed by Steven Spielberg. What? Who was visiting the set at the time. Which one? I have no idea. <laughs> Hopefully that's true because it was a really cool piece of information that I came across when I was doing my research. But isn't that awesome? So Steven Spielberg directed one scene from that big like shootout. Like one shot. Wow. Which would be cool. That is cool. Trying to figure out, you know, the next time we talk to Spielberg, <laughs> yeah. and we are going to talk to him, yeah, because we're going to interview him. <laughs> Putting it out there. Putting it out there. Maybe we'll interview him for a special updated profiles. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, some trivia for you, my friend, yes. is the following roles were actually turned down by Al Pacino. I have that written down, too. <laughs> Ted Kramer in Kramer versus Kramer. Yeah. You got that? Yeah. All right. Uh, Colonel Kilgore, Apocalypse Now. Yeah. <laughs> Roy Neary, <laughs> yeah. Coulson Towers, and wait, wait, go say the last one. I was going to say Han Solo, That's the one. Star Wars. Yes, give it up. Another high five. Excellent yeah. job. Also apparently Die Hard and Pretty Woman, too. Die Hard? Yeah. He would have been Frank McClain. John McClain. John McClain. Yes. Yeah. Frank, Frank Serpico, Serpico, John, John McClain. McClain. Both cops. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, when you can turn down Han Solo, Star Wars, uh, Apocalypse Now, Kramer versus Kramer, that's power, my I friend. I know. Apparently, he said when he read the script for Star Wars, I remember not understanding it at all. <laughs> Which is so funny. What's to understand? Well, here's another fact for you. Did you know that Al Pacino is the original face of Facebook? So when they first created Facebook and they had a banner up the top and they had a little sad-looking face to the left-hand side covered in ones and zeros, it was Al Pacino. No. I don't even know if he knew that he was the face of Facebook. They changed it in 2007. But originally, Al Pacino's face. Al Pacino was the face of Facebook. Well, there, that is great trivia. Yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know the Spielberg thing at all. That Good. is amazing. Well, did you know that Alec Baldwin, when he was uh, going for his degree at NYU, he wrote a 65-page thesis on Al Pacino and method acting. I want to read it. And... He later starred with him. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. But wasn't Al Pacino not in the scene that Al Baldwin was in? Yeah, I don't think he was. He wasn't. But they were in the same movie, so that's close enough. That's very cool. All right. Before we we move on, we have to take care of some very, 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 very important business for profiles. 
We love doing this show, but we need profiles to grow and really grow and be seen by as many people as possible. Yes. That is where you come in, our profilers. We need you to share profiles with everyone Can you I know. Can I say, I was yes. really, really touched by the amount of tweets and Facebook posts I saw with everyone sharing with their friends. That like, was great. I actually felt like I wanted to cry. That that was and very, very cry. moving. And we want you to we want you to keep doing that because we really need it. So please go to our Facebook page, which is Profiles with Malone and Mance. Please like it and please share it with your friends, all of them, and ask them to share it with their friends too. Go to iTunes, subscribe to Profiles, rate and review us on Profiles. We were at number one on the Film and TV podcast on iTunes about a month ago, which was really awesome. We really like to get back to that point, and we really need to do that. And you can help us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing us on iTunes. We really need that in order to survive. Make sure you follow Alicia Malone on Twitter at Alicia Malone. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Movie Mance. Alicia Malone, Movie Mance. Alicia Malone, Movie Mance. <laughs> it's like subliminal advertising. Subliminal advertising. And then so finally, subliminal. you always take the YouTube thing. I yes. don't know what to say on this one. So you can subscribe <laughs> to us on YouTube.com slash Popcorn Talk Network. You see me glancing over here at my computer during the show. That's because I keep an eye on the live chat, which happens when we do the show live every week at 3 p.m. PM PST uh, in LA time um, when when we can do it on a Tuesday. Uh, and I was just reading the the comments. I like this one from Byron Jackson on YouTube. Says the thing about Al Pacino is he manages to be both completely original and still somehow keep a bit of himself in the roles he plays. And then a lot of people just remarking on the Al Pacino as Han Solo. Can you imagine him yelling? <laughs> ah! Can you imagine another one is worth this? Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Okay, now let's get into our so fast five, five number, number four, four, which is. Say hello to my little friend! What could that Scarface. be? And she is wearing the shirt to show for it. Scarface coming in at number four, released December 9th, 1983, directed by Brian De Palma, cost $25 million to make. Box office worldwide at the time, $66 million. Written by Oliver Stone when mm-hmm. he was coked out of his head. Battling his addiction. Battling his own addiction, yes. Uh, nominated for three Golden Globes, including Best Actor. Also, interestingly, nominated for one Razzie best the worst director brian de palma oh, what do you really? think that is because it, it's a little over the top and a very <laughs> yeah it's like a greek tragedy it is. like an opera it's it's so full-on but i think it, it suits it because much like when we talk about wolf of wall street being long and and so full of everything it's excessive and same with scarface it shows excess by being completely excessive <laughs> itself and pacino as Tony Montana, Tony Montana fits perfectly into this world. Now, can you do a Tony Montana uh, impression? Okay, let's see. Uh, uh, my lawyer so good. <laughs> when he's done with you, you're going to be practicing law in Alaska. <laughs> That's good. So trust more. <laughs> What's yours? Say hello to my lover. Where you go? Yes. I mean, come on. This movie is so quoted that that it's easy to see why it has gotten popular over the years. When it first came out, iconic. And it is over the top. It's entertaining. (laughs) I mean, the movie's almost three hours long, and it 
moves. It doesn't even really feel what like three hours. What about that section that's just like a music video showing him rising to the top to that 80s track? I can't oh, remember what it, it is. But it's like, mm. Doesn't it feel like an episode of Miami Vice? Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it's a very, very and, long yeah. episode of Miami Vice. Interestingly, at the time, a lot of critics were very mixed or didn't even like it at all. Back in 1983, Leonard Maltin gave the movie one and a half stars out of four, and he said, Scarface, while it's in excess and unpleasantness for three hours, offers no new insight except that crime doesn't pay. That's enough. But he later, in his, in his books expressed surprise that it became such a popular cult classic. Interesting. Well, my favorite part of watching a gangster film is seeing the rise and then the, the fall. Right. The corruption of power. And that's something that Pacino has shown really many well times. many times in his in his movies. Apparently it was given an X rating mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of all the hard drug use, the the nudity, the sex and then the uh the language apparently the f word is said 226 times interesting during how oh, you got that written down <laughs> during the film and then it says that brian de palma released the first version without the board knowing no way i don't know if that's true or not but what i read was he cut it down to make it an r rating and then released the x version anyway well the scene where the guy gets uh, his head with the chainsaw oh. That is so disturbing. It is. I totally forgot that when I was watching it again the other day. Yeah. Like, I mean, I've seen the movie like 30 times. Yeah. And I like had to like you know, hold my hand up because I forgot it was coming. But uh, this is a remake of the 1932, very, very loose remake of the yeah, 1932 different. classic uh, directed by Howard Hawks. And guess whose idea it was to make Scarface into a remake? Al Pacino. You are correct. Very, very good. You probably had that written down too. <laughs> Another high five for that one. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Al, Al choose every scene but he does it in a way that it it fits it makes sense and you could see why someone who's a thug could grow to be so powerful because of his charisma of his persuasion i mean he there was something irresistible about him and that is due to pacino's amazing performance and he has intense greed he wants the world the world is yours the world is he yours. wants the whole world and everything in it and then you see how that greed just completely destroys him uh, apparently scorsese when he saw the film he said to stephen bauer who played manny uh-huh. he said you guys are great but be prepared they'll hate you in hollywood no kidding. Yeah. Well, Stephen Bauer was actually the only actor out of the initial cast. Cuban. That was Cuban. Like, you have I had that down, too. <laughs> yeah. Look at you. We were, like, totally on the same page with same this movie. Same brain. Same brain here. Al Pacino mm. actually burned his hand during that final climax, that final scene. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> what was I thinking? During that final shootout, he picked up the gun from the, from the, the top after he had, like, fired 30 rounds, and he burned it immediately. Like, skin came off, so they, they rushed him to the hospital. Hospital, and the nurses didn't exactly know who he was at first, and here he's covered in blood, <laughs> and they thought he was just some thug. What's going and they're on? Like, one of the nurse says, oh my God, you're, you're Al Pacino. Yeah. And he uh, was out for two weeks while he healed, which is, man, that must have hurt. Well, apparently the fake cocaine that he was snorting, I think it was like baby laxative or baby powder or something. Yeah, it was powered yeah, baby laxative. Powered baby laxative. Look at you go, he, girl. Um, he says now he still has it caught up in his nose. It's no still way. like wedged up in there and he actually, it's caused him a lot of medical problems over the years because he had to snort so much of it and it's not meant to be snorted. No, it was it's right not. Up there. He probably would have been better just having actual cocaine. We actually got more comments. Are you surprised? 
on our Facebook page from profilers about Scarface than any other movie, except another one, which we'll get to. I don't want to spoil it. Brian Williams, not to be confused with Brian Williams, had this to say about (laughs) Scarface. To quote Roger Ebert, quote, if Al Pacino goes over the top in Scarface, and he does, that's because the character leads him there. Over the top is where Tony Montana lives. In Pacino, Brian De Palma found an actor that matched his operatic tone. There is nothing subtle about his performance, and that's what I love about it. It's bold, impulsive, and off the rails, off the rails, in all the best ways. <laughs> we are given a gangster film that has turned up to 11, like our, our energy right now, uh, <laughs> for most of its running time. And Pacino is there the whole way, leading the way. It is a high-wire act that only Pacino could have done. Cathal says, excess is the point of Scarface, which is very, very true. And he also says, when the inevitable Scarface remake comes, choose Oscar Isaac. That would be a good choice. Not that we need another remake of Scarface. (laughs) But Brandon Santizo says, what Al Pacino's did with Scarface is some next level stuff. Tony isn't a good guy, but yet the way Al Pacino plays him, you find yourself rooting for him. Very few people can play a brilliant villain and not make you hate him. But is he a really bad guy or a nice guy stuck in a bad guy's body. Scarface the movie has lived on for so long, for so many things, but a big part of that is because of Al Pacino's performance. Definitely. Totally, totally agree. Alicia, it is now your favorite part of Profiles. Well, mine's been ruined because we've already said my one to oh, you. Oh, no so way. So we'll just do yours. Oh, well, oh, oh was that? Because <laughs> we the... try and keep it secret. Yes, we do. About the roles that he turned down. Right. Yeah. Oh, that. <laughs> that was your quiz. Darn. Yeah, okay. Secret. Well, I'm going to make this easy for you. Okay. In Dog Day Afternoon, what was the name of the bank that Sonny and Sal hold up? Was it Security Pacific of Queens, Staten Island First Trust, City National Bank of New York, or First Brooklyn Savings Bank. <laughs> well, because it's in Brooklyn, I'll say First Brooklyn. You are correct. Bank. Very good. And that does it for Quiz Show today. <laughs> you know, we, we like to shake things up sometimes when we do profiles. We like to throw in a segment that only fits for our particular spotlight of the week. So when it came to Al Pacino, we decided that no one delivers a monologue quite like Al Pacino. Exactly. So that is why we are calling our special segment on Al Pacino's monologues, The The King's King's Speech. Speech. I mean, is there a more fitting segment name for Al Pacino's (laughs) monologues? What are some of your favorites? Well, one of my favorites for sure is Scent of a Woman. Mm -hmm. When he gets to the discipline... I knew I was going to have trouble saying that word. Disciplinary? Disciplinary. Disciplinary. Yes. That's it. We know where you're going. Disciplinary. 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 Yes. Hearing. Uh-huh. <laughs> with Charlie Sims. And this is when he finally stands up for Charlie. And boy, does he ever. I love the monologue he delivers about principles and honor. And I'm just getting warmed up. Hmm. And uh, that is such a great moment. That's my favorite moment of that movie. What, were you, what did you say about Pacino's delivery before how he it starts at you know, one, and it builds up to a hundred. He builds up to a hundred. <laughs> yes, it does. Well, there's the great, uh, the great <laughs> scene chewing scene in the Devil's Advocate. Yeah. When he's going because he is the devil, and he heads a law firm. And he goes, "Look, but don't touch." <laughs> 
touch, but don't taste. Taste, but don't swallow. And then he says about God, he's an absentee landlord. He's an absentee landlord. I mean, that, like, even if you've never seen that movie, you know that line. I know. I think that's the case with most of most of his movies. Like, Maud has never seen Scarface, but she knows Say Hello to My Little Friend. Exactly. It's a great great piece of dialogue. Yeah. Of course, same thing with And Justice for All. Yes. If you've never seen 1979's And Justice for All, directed by Sidney Lumet, who, by the way, doing all of this research, I, I, I would say that he did his best work with, with Sidney Lumet. I agree. And that scene in the courtroom, he goes, you're out of order! order. You're, you're out, out of order. order! This whole trial is out, out of order! order. I, I mean, think that was in a, another movie or TV show as well, wasn't it? It's been, it's been mimicked and mocked repeatedly. <laughs> another great one from Any Given Sunday, when he's the pep talk. Where it again starts off low and he's building, he's building, and he's building up the players. And he's saying, on this team, we fight for that inch. We claw our way through our fingernails for that inch. <laughs> and then another, another one that I uh, often gets overlooked in the great monologues of Al Pacino yep. is from The Insider, 1999. Yes. And he plays Lowell Bergman, the producer from CBS News, who, who got Wygand, played by Russell Crowe, to blow the whistle on Big Tobacco. And he goes, you pay me to get guys like Wygand to draw him out. Does he go on television to tell the truth? Yes. Yes. Is it newsworthy? Yes. Yes. Are we going to air it? Of Of course course not. (laughs) I mean, it's just so great. You can just watch his monologues. Well, there's a really great video if people want to have a look at it online. It's on Vimeo, and it's called Al Pacino Full Roar. (laughs) And it is six minutes of the best scenes, the best monologues he's done, where he's shouting. And he's just (laughs) shouting through the whole thing. But you see how great he is. He's so intense. So great. I don't know how he's not exhausted at the end of every day. By the way, um, Schmoes Noah are watching... And they say, I think it's Christian or Mark, I'm not sure which one, says, I think Alicia and Matt sniffed some of that stuff Pacino had. Also. <laughs> Goofballs. No, we are high on Pacino. We are high on life talking about great movies. And it's really hot in here. And it's, it's hot as hell in here. <laughs> Jesus. Well, moving on to Fast Five, number three which is... You're my prisoner. You do what I tell you to do. Wow. Wow. Serpico. Serpico. Serpico, released December 5th, 1973, directed by Sidney Lumet. And this movie cost $3 million to make. Total box office, $30 million domestic, which for 1973 is pretty damn good. Two Oscar nominations for adapted screenplay. Best actor, Al Pacino, based on a true story. I got to tell you something about Serpico. When you look at the great 70s movies, the really great ones, other than the Godfather films and other than, like, you know, Cuckoo's Nest, Serpico is right up there. It is so gritty. It's so gritty. And intense and raw and superb. And it is just the peak of 70s Hollywood greatness. But I feel like it's overlooked. Why? I don't know. I feel like you hear a lot about French Connection, The Conversation, which are brilliant films as well. But you don't hear that much about Serpico. I don't think that many people out there would have watched Serpico. I think you're right, actually. You know, they, they compared to all those other films which yeah. have bigger profiles, Serpico doesn't get as much love as it should, but it is right now. <laughs> uh, and, you know, watching this movie, New York looks dangerous. I mean, it was back in the early 70s. And here's this good guy cop who is so idealistic and naive, totally outnumbered by the corruption that he goes from precinct to precinct looking for a good a good police station and he can't find one. Yeah. 
and and it it winds up being his own undoing and it's he's such a great role model because he's so idealistic in the face of all this corruption yeah and that's the interesting thing here is Pacino playing a good guy through and through an honest cop but another thing that he does so well in all his movies is the transformation so he starts out very fresh faced and and very idealistic he still ends quite idealistic but he's he's lost he's lost a lot of faith in the whole system throughout it he got out of there and he lost his life pretty much and then he got shot in the face that scene, and he was warned when he went on narcotics, be careful, it's dangerous, you could get hurt, and, you know, it's not going to take much for these guys to look the other way, mm-hmm. and you're going to be in big trouble, and that's exactly what happened. And don't you love the way it begins? It begins with, with him oh. being shot in the face, but then it switches straight to the very start of his story, and just to see that change, when you, when you watch it the first time, you're thinking, what happened? So How did you, he get there? You're talking about the transformation of what he went from being a fresh-faced rookie cop to this weathered, totally uh, dispirited undercover narcotics officer, yeah. when in fact it was filmed the other way around. Interesting. They started filming the very end where he was had the long hair and the big bushy beard, and as the as they were filming in reverse, they shaved it, they cut his hair, they shaved a little more, they shaved a little more. So the last scene of him where he's getting sworn in, looking like Michael Corleone in The Godfather, yeah. that was the last scene to be filmed. Wow, it's pretty amazing that it, it takes a look at 12 years of Frank Serpico's life. Of course, it's based on a biography of the real cop, Frank Serpico, who exactly tried to, uh, to be the honest cop in this world full of corruption I mean you just watch this film and you think he didn't have a chance it was just one guy in a sea of corruption and everything that was going on and uh, this, the, when Al Pacino was rehearsing this movie he spent a lot of time with the real Frank Serpico and finally he just came out and asked him why didn't you just take the payoff and Frank Serpico looked at Al Pacino and said if I took the money interesting answer he goes if I took the money who would I be when I listened to Beethoven. Interesting answer. Not truly sure what it means, but it's definitely something to ponder. Like who would he say when he looked in the mirror? Yeah. Or how would he sleep at night? It's interesting well because it's not black or white. No, it's, it's very Fifty Shades gray. of Grey. Oh, no, you had to bring that movie into <laughs> this, didn't you? Um, interesting, I just was curious because the movie was uh, came out in 1973, and at the end, spoiler alert, it said yeah. that Frank Serpico went to live in Switzerland. So I was wondering, oh, I wonder what happened after that. Well, not only did he come back to the States after living in Switzerland, it wasn't really for him, he went to upstate New York, started teaching, and he is still alive. That's cool. 2015, the man is still alive. Well, Alberto Heinsberg says, great, Miss Malone just spoiled this movie for me. I didn't. It I starts, did. <laughs> no, 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 but I didn't because it starts with him being shot in the face. So you see that as soon as the movie starts. So right. that is not a spoiler point. And plus, even if you know how the real Frank Serpico ends up, it's enjoyable to watch. And besides, so it came it. out in 1973. Yeah. <laughs> you know, come on, give us a break. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, Amar Singh, one of, our, one of our profilers, says this about Ser- Serpico. I'm a huge fan of Sidney Lumet. So obviously I enjoy watching Doll Day Afternoon and Justice for All and Serpico. Pacino's performance in all three of these movies are in a class all by themselves. That means if anyone wants to learn to act, watch him in these movies. His performance in Serpico is poetic. It captures our soul. It was like Jesus being entrapped in the pandemonium. Whoa, heavy, 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 Amar Singh. Heavy stuff. And we obviously only got one comment 
about Serpico. So more people need to watch it. More people need to watch Serpico. Watch and you it. know what? I have a feeling they will after we just talked about it so passionately. <laughs> A lot of great Al Pacino movies. Yes. So many that putting together this Fast Five was probably the toughest one yet. We say that every, every single week. week. <laughs> when are we going to get to someone who are like, it was easy. This was easy. It was fine. You know, someone who just Whatever. made five movies. You yeah. know who would actually would be an easy Fast Five? John Cazale. Yeah. <laughs> He's great movies. Five but he just great didn't have movies. That many. And that was it. Yeah. But the others, so many great other films. And I, I, I was actually going to put this movie at number five instead of Scent of a Woman. Yes. But then I thought maybe I won't because he actually won the he Oscar won the for Scent of a Woman. I agree. Heat. 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 Can't take the heat. Get out of the kitchen. No, <laughs> what does he say? What's the quote? Uh, never walk away from something that you can't walk away from in 20 seconds uh, Yeah, when you feel the heat coming around the corner. The thing that I love about this movie is it's a big action film, but it has such poetic dialogue. Yeah, Great dialogue. And then you've got these two acting legends at the center of it. And even though they were both in The Godfather Part 2, their paths never crossed. Right. So amazing to see them. And even though they don't have that much screen time together in the same scene in Heat, to see them, as you said, opposite each other at Kate Mantellini's, that is so cool. And, and- it shows that they still had it. They another still movie, have it. Another movie that's three hours long flies by. It's a five-act film. Most movies are three acts. Yeah. This is five acts. And I love that last scene at the end after Pacino shoots De Niro and he goes over to him and he goes, I told you I wasn't going back. Yes. And the last scene of them is the two of them holding hands as De Niro dies. Another spoiler alert. Great, great movie. <laughs> this <laughs> what whole, else is on your list? whole show is a spoiler. <laughs> Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Yes. From 1992, he was nominated for Supporting Actor, but he won the actor for Best uh, for best Actor for Center of a Woman, and he lost the um, Best Supporting Actor to Unforgiven, Gene Hackman. That was tough, a tough battle. Great cast, Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, Kevin Spacey, the monologues, the writing from David Mamet. David and Mamet. Actually, just recently, I think it was about... A year or two ago, I saw Al Pacino in Glengarry Glen Ross on the stage, but he wasn't playing his character from the movie. He's playing the Machine Levine. Yes. Yeah. That was uh, such a treat to see him in a different role. And then Bobby Cazell, uh, who stars with him, was that Cannavale? Ka- yeah. I was thinking about John Cazell. Um, Bobby Cannavale, who stars with him and Danny Collins, was playing Al Pacino's role. Oh, that's cool. It was cool. I love that line Al Pacino goes, never open your mouth yep. until you know what the shot is. Always be closing. It'll always be closing. <laughs> A-I-D-A. Okay, another movie I liked. Uh, I know I mentioned this uh, briefly, The Insider, 1999. What I liked about that film for a lot of reasons was that he was not over the top Al. He was actually what's a much more restrained performance but the the uh, friendship that develops between Al Pacino and Russell Crowe who plays a uh, Wigan the whistleblower mm-hmm. and uh, it, it was just a great sort of expose on journalism one of the best movies about journalism since all the president's men what else is on your list well I was going to say insomnia which we spoke about during the Christopher Nolan episode of profiles and Mark Tordai loves insomnia as well he said not only is insomnia my favorite Christopher Nolan film and one I call a masterpiece but Al Pacino is a big reason why this foggy psychological thriller worked the way 
way it did. Playing a cop with, you guessed it, insomnia, Pacino's <laughs> character declines into further trauma as the film plays on. Not only is he unable to sleep with the constant sunlight in Alaska, but he's also fighting to keep his job, and then there's the loss of his partner too. It's a shame Al Pacino's performance was overlooked by the Academy, but I feel insomnia is his best performance within the past 15 years. I agree with that. I think it is his best performance in the last 15 years until his new movie, Danny Collins. I'm not just saying that because we interviewed him for that. Connor Wood had this to say about Heat. Heat is a tremendous and powerful movie. Michael Mann gives wonderful direction to two main heavyweights of the film, Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. It's a brilliantly constructed crime film like many of Michael Mann's movies and contains one of the best shootouts in cinema history. Pacino and De Niro are in a cat and mouse game from beginning to end and who can forget the exceptional scene with their two characters sitting at a restaurant table. The tension level is through the roof. Sure is. Well, on our Facebook page, Profiles with Malone and Mance, they did brackets yes. for the best Al Pacino characters this week. Cathal Thomas, thank you for running this on our Facebook page. If you go there, it's really cool. They take two characters that the same actor has played and then you vote which one wins. So it came down to Michael versus Serpico and Tony versus Sonny from Dog Day Afternoon. Then it came down to Michael versus Tony. And who do you think won out of Michael Corleone or Tony Montana? I'm going to go with Michael Corleone. Yes. And as uh, Justin Bass, who helped out as well, says, Michael wins the brackets again. He also won the Coppola bracket. Oh. Coppola bracket. Coppola. 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 It's hot doing, here. It's hot in here, and I've been doing a lot of talking today. A lot of talking. Well, I'm going crazy. Another shout out to another movie on the others. Just got to give a mention to Sea of Love. Oh yeah, I never saw it. Sea of Love, good film, very hot, hot, hot movie. Uh, good sex scenes with Alan Barkin. But what's what's notable about Sea of Love? It's his. It was his comeback movie after a four-year absence from the big screen. The last movie he had done was 1985 called Revolution, which was a bomb. And he did. He just. He just been doing stage work for a while. Yeah. Makes his comeback playing a cop opposite John Goodman uh, in this uh, very sort of sexy, hot, romantic thriller. And it really put Al Pacino back on top. It was welcome, welcome return to form for the man himself. And uh, Coppola was kind of like a JTEism. <laughs> yeah, Coppola, way to go. Thanks for the uh, inspiration there, JTE. <laughs> also, Eamon Rafferty likes Carlito's Way. Good okay, one. Good movie. Uh, out of Pacino's catalog to choose from, I've decided to go with a performance that's sometimes forgotten, and that's Carlito's Way. Where Scarface is the more hyperactive and violent cousin, Carlito's Way dwells more on the aspect of a gangster released from his stint in prison, trying to go clean and seek redemption in an environment that is unwilling to let him ride off into the sunset. Carlito's Way will always be one of my favorite Al Pacino roles for his complex and tragic portrayal of of Carlito. Yeah, and big thanks to Dan Skip Allen also for helping with the brackets this week. All right. Okay. Let's get into Fast Five number two, which is... Attica! 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 Oh, day afternoon. Released uh, September 21st, 1975. Directed by Sidney Lumet. Again, cost 1.8 million. Box office, 50 million. Six Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Al Pacino. One, one for Best Screenplay, Frank Pearson. I have to say, after all the films that we rewatched this week, 
I had the most fun watching Dog Day Afternoon again. Yeah, I did too. It had been a while since I'd seen it, and I love movies like this where it's self-contained. It happens over one day or one night and few locations with a small cast. I just think it makes it much more claustrophobic, much more tense, and it's just a more interesting story because that's all they have to go on is story and the performances. And what an interesting character this is for Al Pacino playing Sonny. He's a bank robber, bisexual bank robber mm-hmm. who is just trying to raise money for his his boyfriend's sex, change, sex operation. change operation. And you don't so know that until halfway through the movie. I love the way it reveals yeah, itself. It's it's it doesn't lay all its cards out at the very beginning, which is always great. But what I've reevaluated about this movie is how funny it is. Yeah, it is a satire about fame. This movie was ahead of its time. The way he riles up the crowd and gets the media and the crowd on his side. Uh, I mean, this was 1975 this movie came out based on the 1972 Life magazine article called The Boys in the Bank. Uh, Al Pacino's character, Sonny, was sort of based on the real life. His name was, his name was John Wojtowicz, mm-hmm. and uh, he died in the 2006 at 60 years old. There was a documentary last year called The Dog, yes. which is a real, it's a documentary about the real life incidents portrayed in Dog Day Afternoon. Well, did you know that the three bank robbers, the afternoon that they robbed the bank, they watched The Godfather. And they so loved that movie that when it came time for the ransom note, they write, this is an offer you can't refuse. Wow. How about the end? The irony is that Al Pacino and John Cazale, who were in Dog Day Afternoon, were also in The Godfather. Godfather. And they were great buddies too, weren't they? They they met uh, working for an oil company and then they did an off-Broadway play and then Al Pacino really pushed for him for this role. And this is something that's so great about this movie is the relationship between uh, Sonny and what's John's character's name? Sal. Sal. Yeah, Sonny and Sal, because they're so different from each other, but they're also both on the verge, like they're going to crack at any moment. Yep. And you just don't know what they're planning next. Well, everything that can go wrong. The sweat. The sweat, yeah, yeah, as the day goes on, especially because they turned off the AC in the bank. But everything that can go wrong does go wrong from the very beginning. I mean, they get in the bank, and there's only like $1,100 in the safe. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just sort of snowballs from there. And uh, what's fascinating to me is that Frank Pearson won the screenplay Oscar for a movie that was largely improvised, including the famous line that we bumped into the segment with Attica, Attica. Wow, way to go. Yeah, that that's is what uh, is so great about Al Pacino is he's always in the moment and he often comes up with lines that are improvised and often the director says, that's better. I yep. like what you did there. Go for it. This is also really reflective of the 70s. I mentioned before how I can see a correlation between his character and the great kind of anti-heroes of the 70s, the counterculture when they were going against the government. You couldn't you couldn't trust the government at this time, so you needed these kind of heroes to rise up against them. And it was right after Watergate. And it's interesting because his character isn't necessarily a bad guy, also not necessarily a good guy, not a hero or a villain. Another interesting thing about this movie that I completely forgot about because it had been so many years since I saw it, uh, uh, Agent Sheldon, played by James Broderick. Okay, when he arrives on the scene and sort of relieves Charles Durning of his, of his authority, he's a man of few words, but what he says counts. And he plays it perfectly. Like when he finally talks to Sonny and he tells him, he says, sit quiet, we'll handle Sal. And, and Sonny just is like, oh, oh boy, 
oh my god and he doesn't he doesn't tell sal no hey, well, they're on sal to you. was like what are they talking about out there what did he say to you why did he have to take you outside his his survival instincts kicked in and thought well if they get rid of sal maybe i'll get out of this alive and then there was that other scene uh when when they're about to get released and he goes he goes 10 minutes mm-hmm. i mean this guy knew what he was doing he never raised his voice never broke a sweat james broderick who's matthew broderick's father amazing amazing performance in this film totally agree cole boone profiler cole boone says dog day afternoon is a terrific film that is really tense and tiring you feel as though you are going through this ordeal with sunny sal and the hostages and credit really goes yes to Sidney lumet al pacino and john cazale for crafting the story of a heist gone terrible terribly wrong you ultimately sympathize with pacino's sunny which is what you just said and can understand where the man is coming from it was a groundbreaking film and an oscar-worthy performance by pacino who at the time really was at the top of his game yeah amazing well rachel cushing on the live chat at youtube says it's an amazing film and feels just as relevant today as it must have been in the 70s tyler myers says i've never seen dog day afternoon runs away don't worry tyler you should watch it now i watch it right really, after this really loved watching it again it'd been a long time and star drew says who did the quote of i'm walking here when the taxi tried to pass that was dustin hoffman different in movie midnight cowboy midnight we cowboy. will get to dustin hoffman for sure for on, sure on our profile Okay, well, Nicholas Maguleri says, I love Dog Day Afternoon. <laughs> Pacino makes the film. Throughout the movie, you see the stress Sonny is under as it wears away at him physically and emotionally. Disguised as a simple crime movie, this film has lots of underlying social and political messages about the lesbian and gay community, very yep. true, and police brutality. Even though he's a bank robber, Sonny wins over the audience with his charisma and noble motives. Like many of Al Pacino's roles, this is one in which he is irreplaceable. Totally. Totally irreplaceable. And do you like how I say Nicholas Megalari really fast yes. so that I don't get it wrong? You got it right. Phew. You know what else is irreplaceable? We are. Oh. Because we are at the moment of truth. <laughs> we are at the moment. The moment that we've been waiting for. I have to say that when we went in to interview Al Pacino for his new movie, Danny Collins... And in this movie of Danny Collins, he plays a sort of washed up actor who gets rock and roll star, rock and roll star, who gets a letter uh, given to him that was supposed to have been given to him, like from 1971, from John Lennon, which immediately made me love this movie. But it is such a crowd pleaser. It's It's a a redemption tale. It's sweet. It's got a big heart. And this is one of these films that I am always talking about how I worry that the blockbusters and the indies are wipes out the middle class of movie. This is those kind of great middle class movies which just have fun performances and it's an adult sophisticated film. Yep. It's for grown-ups. And he sings. He sings. He's good at it. And it's his best role in many, many years. I really, really like Danny Collins. Anyway, so the great thing is that when we go in and we get to do an interview for Profiles, not not for one of her outlets or one of mine, that for Profiles, they rearranged the room, put in a second chair so the two of us could interview Al Pacino, and here it is! Tell us, what was it about Danny Collins which really appealed to you? Well, it was the Dan Fogelman script. I, I, I think you could tell if you've seen the movie, there's a kind of innate uh, spirit in it, heart in it. And it's funny and it's, it's touching. It was a great script, really. So, and he wanted me to play that part, which is always something you say, if a director wants you in a movie, then you have to think, well, maybe they see something that, you know, 
because directors and casting is very important. I think when a director makes a movie, cast is very important. Who plays the part? So, and he felt I, I he wanted me. Well, how was that I similar mean, to back in the day when Francis Ford Coppola? Oh, gee. pushed for you to play Michael uh, Corleone in the Godfather. Seems it's still going on, right? Because there, I was I was completely. Utterly unknown, and uh, except for the theater in New York, but other than that, and Francis wanted me to play this part, and I, I was, uh, I was, you know, a bit um, uh, fluxed by why would he want me in this role? You know, it was just, it wa- I wasn't the going number in those days. You know, I it was that was a different type. It, I mean, Dustin Hoffman had paved the way with his great performance in The Graduate, so. They were looking at guys like me a little differently anyway, so maybe. But but it didn't help because he had a very hard time with the studio when he wanted to use me in the main role. So, so it was a real battle for him. And I must say, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't have done the picture. They wouldn't have even thought of me, you know. So it was kind of weird. I thought I might be dreaming, but I got to know Francis. I don't mean to go on here. Because he wanted me in another film before The Godfather. He saw me in New York on the stage, and he wanted me to play this professor who falls in love uh, with a college professor with one of his students. It was a kind of mythic film. It was beautifully written, because Francis is a beautiful writer. You know, he's a great writer. He wrote Patton and things like aside from being a great director. So he, I got to know him. I went to San Francisco. And we were going to do this movie, uh, and uh, we we were together five or six days. Just, to, and then when he presented me to the studio, they said they thought he was, you know, like everybody does when they present me to something at that time. They said, "Are you crazy? Who, who is this guy? We don't know." And of course, they never made the movie. But then a year later, and that's life, isn't it? It's amazing when you look back at Godfather, Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, Danny Collins. Is there a movie that you feel especially proud of? Well, I I don't I don't know. There's 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 movies I feel uh, I I always liked the the movie I've made. Like if I did a Looking for Richard movie, that was my own movie. Or uh, I recently did this movie of Salome with Jessica Chastain. But I think Scarface looms up because I think that was a real controversial and yet uh, tremendously um, um, enduring movie. It's still out there. So there. But I have favorite. I've done a lot, you know. And yeah. somebody once said to me, just recently said to me, because I did this movie, The Humbling. I did it before, before Danny Collins, and um, someone said wanted to talk about those '70s movies. And I, I finally had to say, after a while, I, I don't remember the 70s. <laughs> and it got all over the Internet and stuff. But, but that, that is partially the truth. You know, I, I just don't quite know. So when I think back, of course, that first movie I made was The Panic in Needle Park. And yep. I, I sort of liked that, Jerry Schatzberg. I think it was the first. So there, there's, there's a kind of um, sentiment toward, toward it. I, it's a really good movie. Great Kitty Win, Jerry Schatzberg directed it beautiful. This is a milestone year for you. 
You're celebrating your 75th birthday, so oh, happy, happy birthday. birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to try to hide it, but why? You know, it's great. Why? It sounds very impressive, doesn't it? Yes, it sure does. But, uh, but thank 400 so would sound a little better. <laughs> my 400th birthday. Well, thank you so much for the taking the time so to talk much. with us. No, my pleasure. I'm so glad you liked it. It's yeah. really great to hear that. Oh, yes! So Look cool. at us go! Uh, uh, wait, can, wait! Did we just did we just talk to Al Pacino? I don't know. Did we just talk to Al Pacino? Is this we real just life? talked to Al Pacino for profiles, and we wished him a happy birthday. <laughs> Give it up! Come on, okay. that deserves Ow. one, two, Ow. one more, Ow. three high fives <laughs> in get, a row. I need to get more calluses on my hands. Man, oh man! <laughs> Profiles rocks. You rock because you're great profilers. Yes. And that brings us to number one on our Fast Five, which had to be... I know it was you, Fredo. You broke my heart. You, you broke, broke my, my heart. heart, Godfather Part, part two. 2. Although we're kind of counting Godfather as well. Yes, by A extension, Godfather Part 1 is definitely included in this. Released December 20th, 1974. Directed by the man himself, Francis Ford Coppola. Cost $13 million to make. Made $48 million domestic. 11 Oscar nominations. 6 wins. Best Director. Best Picture. Supporting actor Robert De Niro. The first sequel to win Best Picture. Uh, the second one was Return of the King. Also nominated Al Pacino twice for the same role because he was also nominated for yeah. Michael Corleone in the first Godfather. And the first one, he wasn't happy that he was only nominated for Best Supporting Actor, so he didn't go to the Oscars. This time he got Best Lead Actor nomination. But he lost to... And he lost in 74. He lost to... Because I know Brando won for Best Lead Actor. Right, he won right, for, for the first movie. Yep. For the second one, he lost to Art Carney oh. for Harry and Tonto. Okay, fine, good performance, but but Michael Corleone in The Godfather Part Two is one of Al Pacino's very finest performances. Talk about uh, a role that should have won. Mm-hmm. An ambitious movie. I prefer Godfather Two over one. You prefer, I one, prefer over one, two. one over two. I know we talked about both Godfather movies in our Coppola episode, where Coppola himself actually called up to speak so about it. So watch that too. Make sure you watch that episode. But I do love Al's performance more in in Godfather Part Two than the first because he is completely that mob boss. Yeah, he is. He is. Michael Corleone in full force and you see that he again much like Scarface the way that uh, power can corrupt someone he turns on his brother he kills his brother he kills his brother he he turns on his wife uh you can see that moment when he realizes that she got an abortion oh what a scene so haunting so powerful that scene scary oh well he's like there's no hint of the former michael that we saw at the beginning of godfather part one the one bit of remorse that you see of michael corleone in godfather part two is when he sits down with his mother and he says what did papa what did father have in what he see in his heart Mm. like it's like he knew because throughout the course of this movie you're seeing parallel stories the rise of Vito Corleone played by Robert De Niro, De Niro. who won the Oscar and the fall of Michael Corleone it's played like by Al Pacino it's like a prologue and a sequel to The yeah. Godfather and, and just the way it just it's such an ambitious film and it epic. works it's so epic it's just definitely one of the best sequels of all time and I think Don Vito was a better guy than Michael he was do you think? well because he was respected he was a class act yeah. and he was trusted I mean you liked Vito Michael Michael, the the power got to him. Like he lost his soul. It's I mean, the de-evolution of a man. Exactly. The the soul getting destroyed. Juxtaposed with the evolution of man. Great dialogue. Like keep your friends close. 
but your enemies closer. Yeah, I should say, uh, someone designed me a t-shirt, keep your friends close, but keep Al Pacino closer. It didn't arrive in time, but I will wear it at some stage. And then uh, if history has taught us anything, it's that you can kill anyone. But great scenes, like the one where, where Kate tells Michael that she had an abortion. That's, yeah, that's and Fredo, so powerful. that scene. Oh, my gosh. Fredo, the scene, that I, you broke my heart. It's, and then when he gets killed in the boat. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. It's, again, revenge, betrayal, violence, much like the first film. We could talk all day about we The could. Godfather, but Tyler Myers, quickly before we go, says, I love The Godfather Part 2 because not only is it an amazing sequel to the first masterpiece, but it's a brilliant character study of both Michael Corleone and young Vito Corleone. Al Pacino is excellent once again and does a great job deteriorating into more of a despicable character as the new Don through the power of greed, power, and control, while Robert De Niro does equally wonderful work as the young Vito, who we see rise to become the Don we've grown to love in The Predecessor. Easily one of the best gangster films and one of the best films in general ever made. And just a last word in this episode will go to the man who gave us the inspiration to start. Cathal Thomas Coleman says, in the end, Pacino plays Michael Corleone with such conviction that he was nominated twice for the same role. Michael is a man who walks a fine line between quiet and calculating contemplation and explosive fury he is his father's son, though his father never wanted him to follow this path in the first place. A masterful performance from one of the greatest actors of all time. Sins of the father. And people saying they're just con- they're just ignoring number three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry. I try to get out, but they keep pulling me back in. Oh, a good line. One last bit of business before we go. Make sure you share this episode with everyone. Cannot stress cannot stress how important it is for you to share and get the word out about profiles we want everyone to see this and that can only happen with your help so please don't think that someone else is going to do it take the bull by the horns and share profiles like our facebook page profiles with malone and mance share it tell your friends to like it too (laughs) subscribe to profiles on itunes rate and review us follow us on twitter at alicia malone at movie mance and until next time we'll announce who our next episode is going to be on our facebook page so until next time bye bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, Christian Harloff, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit PopcornTalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network.